Stop worrying about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. So one of my favorite movies of all time is the movie The Matrix. Has anybody seen The Matrix? We remember The Matrix. We try to forget the other three movies that came after the first one, right? Because those, not so great. But the first one, really, really good, right? And if you've not seen The Matrix, if you're not a sci-fi person or you're not a, a, a movie person, uh, the, it revolves around a character who comes to this realization that there's something wrong with the world. He can't quite figure out what that is, but then he meets a a mysterious character named Morpheus. Now, I'm not sure what Morpheus' parents were thinking. I suggested that as a name for our kids if we had a boy. Laura was not really on board with naming any of our children Morpheus. I was sad about that. But Keanu Reeves is is the main character, and his character meets this Morpheus who offers to provide him with the truth. To offer him, he offers him freedom from slavery, a slavery that he was unwittingly born into. Freedom from a system that had kept him imprisoned and prevented him from experiencing true, full, authentic life. And Morpheus offers Keanu Reeves' character, who then we come to know as Neo, which again, like, awesome name, right? But probably, if you meet a Neo out in the world, like, Give their parents a high five. They're, they're creative. Morpheus offers Neo a choice. He offers him a blue pill and a red pill. The blue pill would let Neo go back into the matrix, go back into the system, would wake up and just think this was all some weird dream and go on about a version of life that he had been captive to. But the red pill would take him on a journey of truth to reveal to him the depths of the brokenness of the system in which he lived. And it was a stark choice to return to the counterfeit or to receive the real. And the opening line of our our gospel reading, Jesus gives a pretty stark choice too. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus names two different masters, and he says we can only serve one of them. There's the blue pill or the red pill, the counterfeit or the real, wealth or God. There is no in-between, Jesus says, because you will be loyal to one. You will love one. You will devote your life to one. And you'll hate the other. You'll have contempt for the other. You'll serve the other. These are harsh words coming from Jesus. And they raise all sorts of questions around the role of money in our lives. They can even create guilt for those of us who've been financially successful, they can cause us to believe that money is the root of all evil. But while money is in play here, it is part of the system, it is something Jesus is talking about, I'm not sure the choice that Jesus is presenting us is entirely about money as an object. The Bible doesn't say that that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money 
is the root of all evil. And you can love money and have a lot of it, and you can love money and have very little of it, but the love and the devotion and the pursuit doesn't really change. What I think Jesus is getting at here is not a wallet issue. It is a heart issue. In whom do you and I actually trust? In whom do you and I actually submit to and obey and arrange our lives around? Is it God or is it a different master? One who says that you must do more and work harder and get better or else. Who says that you and I must construct our lives in such a way to ensure that we are never in lack. The choice that Jesus really presents you and I is between two different identities. One that's counterfeit and one that is real. One that allows us to see God at work in our lives and one that stands in the way of us being able to see what God is doing or maybe we see what God is doing, but it prevents us from joining God in that. As we move into the Lent season, a time in the life of the church that is dedicated to repentance, to to changing of mindset, to changing of life, recognizing the ways in which we fall short of Christ's call, turning from those ways, taking the red pill, and going down the rabbit hole towards what's true and real, renewing our commitment to following Jesus. We come to the next beatitude in our Provoke Life campaign. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and let's read it together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So when Jesus talks about being pure in heart, he isn't describing some sort of ritual or religious purity. That's kind of who uh, the people his day thought were the pure in hearted, were the ones that were seen as ritually pure. Jesus didn't mean that you will only see God once you've achieved some sort of sinless perfection. He meant that you and I would see God through a single minded devotion to Jesus, claiming Jesus's version of life as the pursuit of our lives, repenting from our version, changing, shifting off of our version of life, the one that we've been formed in by a world that is long on promises, but short on fulfillment. We will see God when we turn from the counterfeit and receive the real. And it starts with understanding who we are in God's eyes. So to the people that Jesus is speaking to in in this gospel reading, wealth wasn't just about money. It was about identity. The the Greek word that Jesus uses here is the word mammon. And and it's about money, but it's also uh, about how money serves as the primary purpose of your life. That, That you've organized your life in such a way that money is the primary pursuit and, and securing yourself against lack becomes the primary pursuit of your life. That's what the concept of mammon is, is really about. 
And we, we do this, we organize our lives in this way. The people that, that Jesus is talking to had organized their lives in this way because they didn't believe that if they didn't pursue money, if they didn't pursue wealth, they didn't, they, the belief was that they would fall into lack. And their identity was formed by whatever they did to pursue that wealth and the comfort and the security and the prosperity that came with it. The prioritization of that pursuit would shape them in ways that ran counter to God's will for their lives. And that's why Jesus presents this as such a stark choice. The pursuit of wealth and everything that came with it would get in the way of seeing where God was truly at work and joining where God was working in their lives. And instead, it would lead them to ask God to bless their worldly pursuits and resent God when God did not provide in the ways that they wanted. That was the counterfeit identity that Jesus is speaking against. It was the prevailing identity of his day And I kind of think it still runs the show in our day. Jesus condemns this pursuit as foolish, saying in verse 27, who among you, can, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? Arranging for your security, preventing lack, cannot add a single moment, cannot add a single thing doesn't accomplish very much because we're tempted to think that if we experience lack, it will be a struggle. And it, and it is a struggle. There's lots of people who are lacking and, and their lives have struggle. And so we attempt to arrange to avoid that lack. And, and we think that if we can arrange our lives a certain way, then we won't struggle. The problem is that in all of that arranging is a whole lot of struggle right? It's a different kind of striving, but it's still striving. We're just trading one struggle for another. Meanwhile, we look all around creation, and Jesus points to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, and he names all of the ways that God provides for them, even as their value pales in comparison to the value that God places on your life and on my life, and on the lives of those that Jesus speaks to. Jesus cares a whole lot more about you than he does about some flowers and some birds and some grass. And yet God provides miraculously for all of those. The value that God places on you is so much greater because of the identity that God has given you. And so Jesus presented his hearers with a choice. Take the red pill. Turn from the counterfeit identity that you've been formed in and receive the real identity as one fully dependent on God for our well-being, trusting that this God who provides for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field will provide for you as well. To Jesus' hearers, who came to him trusting that he was the promised Messiah, this message would have been freedom. 
Because no longer did they have to wake up every day worrying about how their lives would be provided for, worrying about how they would scratch out a living, worrying about where their next meal would come from. That was the mindset of mammon, and that was what the blue pill promised. And it is a counterfeit identity and a counterfeit reality. Jesus offered them the red pill, that rather than desiring first their own well-being, he says this in verse 33, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first God and God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and everything else begins to fall into place. Maybe not the way you would have constructed it. Maybe not the way that you would have wanted it or preferred it. But it begins to fall into place in the way that God has designed for you as you turn from the counterfeit and receive the real. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't telling his hearers that they need to sit back and wait for God to like rain gold bars down on their doorstep or something. Like That's not how it works. That's not what Jesus is telling them. Jesus isn't telling them not to be part of the world, not to engage in work, not to create or to produce or to build a life. What he's telling them is that they are free from a culture of striving that says that they had to do more, that they had to work harder, that they had to get better, or else they wouldn't have what they wanted or what they thought they needed. What Jesus is telling them is that all that they would do in this new mindset, taking the red pill, going down the rabbit hole to the true, full, authentic life that Jesus came to bring. All that they would do would be for the glory of God and for the good of their neighbors and those that they are in networks of relationships with. And that as they did that, there would always be enough for the life that they were called to. Now, that does not mean that their lives would be without trouble. And it does not mean that our lives would be without trouble. But living in the freedom from the counterfeit identity of someone designed to strive to avoid a life of lack, they were free not to worry about the trouble that would come tomorrow or the next day or the next day. They could take each day as it came. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that would have been a huge shift for them to turn from the counterfeit identity under this mindset of mammon, of striving to prevent an experience of lack and receive their real identity. But it was the shift that they needed to make in order to see God. Now, our world is very different than the world that the Bible was written into, the world that Jesus shows up in, and the world that he speaks into. You and I are in very different situations than the first hearers of Jesus. Most of us probably aren't striving to scratch out an existence the way Jesus' hearers likely were. Most of us have relatively full pantries. We have relatively comfortable housing. Our clothes closets are, are 
you know, there's stuff in them. Y'all showed up looking very nice today, so that's clearly not a, not a challenge necessarily that we're facing. We have some money in our bank accounts, something in our retirement accounts. We have the, the provision. There, there is not much that we are lacking. And yet we still live in a world that has a mindset of mammon. We're pushed to arrange for our lives in such a way to prevent lack. That's why we have the abundance that we have, to ensure that there's always enough for us to consume. And that's not something to feel guilty or shameful about, but it is something that we need to recognize, especially as our happiness and sense of security and confidence rises and falls on the basis of things like market fluctuations on the basis of things like inflation, on the basis of our employment satisfaction and compensation, on the basis of our ability to keep up with those around us. Our happiness and sense of security and confidence rises and falls on mammon, on wealth, and whether we have it or not. That is the world that we live in. We worry about tomorrow just as the people that Jesus was speaking to worried about tomorrow. The worry is different, but it's still rooted in doing more, working harder, getting better, or else. And it keeps us from being able to see where God is at work in our lives and joining God in that work. So we need the red pill, don't we? We certainly can take the blue pill. We can go back to life before Jesus presents us with that choice. But that worry and that anxiety and that striving will always be a part of our existence. It will never go away. Or we can turn from the counterfeit. We can receive the real and embrace our true identity as God's children who seek God's kingdom, are working and are creating and are producing and are building is not to avoid lack under this mindset, but as people sent to represent God in the world, as you work, as you create, as you produce, as you build, trusting that God will provide for you everything that you need for the life that God calls you to. That's what Jesus is offering when he extends his hand with the red pill that leads to true, full, authentic life. And so what does that look like practically? So many of you know, uh, we, we bought a new house last year. And, and clergy taxes are kind of like I was working on our taxes and, and clergy have kind of a funky tax system and, and there's ways that we have to report things that nobody else uh, has to do. And so it involved calculating out all of the money that we spent getting our house to a state of, of that we wanted to live in. And, and the state that the house was in uh, when we moved in, uh, it was, there was a lot to do. It was a little challenging. And there were those of you here uh, who helped us get us to a much better state. And we are very grateful because who knows where it would be uh, had you not. So I, w- I was calculating how much money we had put into our house in, in the last year. And, and it, was, it was a little, um, uh, I don't know what the emotion I was feeling was, uh, but it wasn't great. <laughs> It was, it was definitely a little frustrating. 
and, but we're grateful. Like we're grateful we were able to do it. We were grateful that the work is mostly done now. We can enjoy uh, what it is. But Laura and I were talking about this and, and I said, hey, guess how much we spent on paint last year? And she said, I'm not sure I want to know. And then I told her and she said, I did not really want to know. But what, what she said was really interesting. She said, you know, I love this house. I love what we've done with it. I love that we get to live here. But if God called us to, to sell it tomorrow, I'd be okay with that. I thought, man, that is detached emotionally from this thing that we have arranged for ourselves. I don't know if I could do it tomorrow. Maybe like next week, I would, I would, I'd get on board. But that's the thing. When you live in this freedom that comes from seeking God first and detaching emotionally from the life that you've constructed to avoid lack, there is incredible freedom in that. Emotionally detaching and being willing to give up what it is that we have or that we want in order to follow Jesus into the life that he has called us to and what he wants for us because that life is better. Jesus designed our life, so he probably knows what's better for us than we do, right? And so to turn from a counterfeit identity requires a shift. It means taking that red pill, going down the rabbit hole to the true, full, authentic life that Jesus came to bring. And that's when our life really begins to fall into place. And it isn't without hardship. If you watch the movie The Matrix, you know that what happens with Neo, it's not actually easier, right? Things get harder for him for a while, and yet he falls into his identity. And as we receive our true identity, and we live from that identity, that's when we're able to see God at work in our lives. So there's a couple of questions I I want you just to consider, uh, and then I'll uh, close us in prayer. Do you trust more in God's ability to provide or your ability to prevent lack? And then the second question, what needs to change so that you can more clearly see God at work in your life?